0: Gentlemen, welcome to the Outpost Podcast. (laughs) Uh, it's just ticked over three PM, so the sun is beginning to get a little bit lower. There's a nice cool breeze roaming through the space, and uh, and you know now that everything's up and running, I notice you know a lovely, um, calm but also lively vibe that's in the area. I'm delighted to sit down for a little conversation um, over uh, over an afternoon breeze. Uh, my name is Red Rainey here
1: on behalf of Outpost Podcast, and I'm joined by I am Marcus Colombaro. I'm with Pineapple. We're a creative studio based in San Francisco. And together we're creating the Outpost
0: Podcast 2018 from Camp Navarro. This time around, I'm delighted uh, to introduce Mr. Phil Otto, founder of Phil Otto Design Group. And uh, uh, please, tell us, uh, who are you? What do you create with Phil Otto Design Group?
2: Yeah, we uh, like to think that we do culturally-based design and it can be an experience or an environment or, you know, it it takes a lot of forms and a lot of scales from pop-up events to uh, civic scale projects. Uh, My training, uh, I got out of Stanford with a degree in cultural anthropology and I put it to use instantly rather than thinking of uh, that being a side trip. So we uh, came into design through the art world. Um, I was at Headland Center for the Arts for a number of years, uh, running the uh, facilities program as an in-house artist and uh, director of that program. And then that led to a lot of design commissions. Um, Oddly, uh, uh, founding the firm in 1990, uh, people would say, I I hate architects, but I love what you're doing. And I had to quickly say, we're not anti, and I don't hate, Uh, we we just have our point of view and we're just focusing on that. Which had to do a lot with listening to an audience uh, teaming with our clients to establish brand goals and then thinking of uh, what's the inventory of that lifestyle and base the design in that rather than uh, an abstract agenda or, or uh, a business agenda per se. Although we do have a, a nice track record of um, you know, spending money wisely to, to get a good return. Um, mm. I think that's just a, a byproduct of being good listeners. Right on. It sounds like you have an extremely
0: unique approach. Um, where can I... Uh, you know, where where might I be able to root or, or see some of your work? Uh,
2: the first, uh, well, actually, a lot of our early work was in San Francisco. When I got out of Stanford, I located there, worked with friends at uh, MAC. Uh, they're still very active in San Francisco. Uh, ben and Chris Hospital were great mentors as I was getting to learn about retail. I also uh, worked at Comte de Garçon briefly uh, to pay the rent. And Fantastic. it was my job to stand around in suits and Danny Glover was my client, uh, famous New York sculptor, Joel Shapiro. It's a very personal process, and I learned a lot about retail. and that was also, an amazing space. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was at an amazing space uh, uh, that was kind of below street level. At street level, all you saw was this gray wall through the glass, and you had to go downstairs and, and take that f- leap of faith to go down there and, and then be surprised and delighted by the offering.
0: And this was in New York.
2: Uh, it was in San Francisco oh, Union yeah. Square. Oh yeah, yeah. Be. Maiden Lane. Yeah, this funny little alley that had just great little shops. So. Fantastic, yeah. fantastic.
0: And now, uh, you know, any time that Marcus is excited to meet and talk uh, deeper with somebody, I, you know, by um, by proxy, I'm also excited. I can't wait <laughs> to see and hear sort of where you guys take the conversation. Marcus, I'm certain that you have some burning questions and, and,
1: you know, inquisitiveness about sort of like the path and approach here. I think that, you know, for us, I think it would be really interesting to, to understand a little bit more about the process. Um, I think that, uh, from a brand perspective, mm-hmm. it's all about understanding what motivates the customer, mm-hmm. what they're asking for, what they need, mm-hmm. and then connecting that with a company's purpose, right. the why they exist. And so, you know, we, as you think about kind of experiential um, uh, design. Um, how do you go about, what is your process for kind of unearthing that, that purpose and starting to form it into something? That's
2: a great question. I always say whether it's explicit or just uh, an intuitive part of our process, we always start with an audience study. And um, I know um, we interface with agencies a lot and we receive a, lo- a lot of big data information from clients who have access to a very statistical view of audience. And we try to temper that with um, very personal case studies and interviews to get at, um, you know, um, what really motivates people. I think many times with a, a statistical view, you you can see what people have been doing and you can definitely see the pattern of, of what, what is working right now. But to make some of the leaps that we hope to achieve for our clients, we want to think, um, you know, what's more of the dynamic that led to those results and talking to people on a more individual scale um, that you identify as as the aspirational audience, perhaps, um, you can get at those leaps a little better.
1: Yeah, I think that if you go by the statistical model, Mm -hmm. um, what you only can do is determine what you want to accomplish based on what's happened in the past. Um, If you want to determine how people engage with new experiences, Mm -hmm. um, you can then help them understand things that they haven't experienced before or haven't been presented before. Can you speak
2: a little bit? Yeah, I, I enjoy that moment very much uh, where the client is saying, here's our budget and here's what we want to accomplish. And then you're thinking, well, let's, let's wonder where we spend that money, uh, how we spend that money, and let's make the priority the things people care about. Um, Early on, uh, I met with New Era hats. You know, we had a big hip-hop overlap with a lot of our sneaker and and indie projects that led to a lot of things in that category. And New Era wanted to um, really excite um, the hip-hop crowd, and we did a a gospel accordion bus that had kind of a VIP lounge with gaming stations and full bar in the back and the front. uh, JBL was a sponsor, and we had turntables. Uh, with, with a hat by Nigo and, and uh, Jacob the Jeweler with a million dollars in gems, you know, in the hat. Um, but then every every uh, hat uh, style that was available, there were 300 we had to represent. We did like a, a record shop. They were just, uh, you know, record album covers that, that showed all the hats. You could say what you wanted and they would just bring it to you. So that, that was nice. something that should have been, in their thinking, initially a, a shop in Soho. We were like, no, it should go to... Uh, awards events. It should, you know, went to BET, I met Della Soul in the back of the bus with my daughter who was then four, Um, and I'm like, that's, see, that was more exciting to me than some flagship in Soho. But they had a bifurcated audience. They also said they were very aware of the father and son at the baseball games and that whole thing. And so we did a, a, you know, a tractor trailer with a jumbotron on the roof that went to uh, parking lots at at stadiums. And so we, we took the budget and really just spent it in two completely different ways because their audience was not just one thing. So Soho would have done some of that, but not, not the way this did.
1: I think that one of the things that you're talking about, I mean, there's this idea of retail, there's this idea of online retail, um, and how you can actually communicate a brand story, but you can't really engage with people on a personal level. And then you bring up this idea of the fixed pop-up, in Mm -hmm. a specific shopping location Mm -hmm. which reaches another audience right but this idea of reaching the audience where it is Mm -hmm. and how it consumes i think is really important can you talk about this customized more getting at the root of what people are asking for where they are what's important to them
2: yeah we um, work on different scales so if it's a retail brand we're uh, rebranding and relaunching bcbg right now and that was kind of a surprise when I got the call. I I was aware of the brand, but hadn't really followed it. Um, But they, they, you know, the new owners were like, you know, feel free to play with everything. And they've been very supportive of just listening to uh, the audience. We identified, why do people still care about the brand? And uh, going right there and saying, let's, let's do a space that's exciting to the people who have been loyal to this. Um, At the same time, we're working with developers on, on civic scale projects where, we're talking to community and representing um, the developer in, in sort of the negotiation to get city approvals, and this is something I'd never really delve, you know, had, had the desire to delve into perhaps. But I, I feel like that's a real social change moment. If we're going to uh, have better communities, uh, that's that's who's building them, and why not why not just get in there and identify developers who have a, a, a taste uh, to do good in the world, along with you know making money and, and doing all those things, too. So we, we've been really enjoying that and, and uh, had a great result in uh, talking to communities and helping the, uh, the architect of record, uh, the client uh, in all their communications to really you know, speak intelligently in a way that that is meaningful to the community they're going into. You seem to be taking on a, a level of responsibility
1: beyond just the four walls. Um, But the effect of that experience in the community itself.
2: Yeah, yeah, because I I don't think you get to watch the news and complain unless you're willing to do something about it. And obviously, we all need to vote. You know, that's, that's, we're all aware of that. But, but beyond that, what can you do? And I, um, I also live in Topanga Canyon, and usually I just live someplace and, and I, I'm like, oh, I wish it was better. Mm -hmm. But I know how it could be better. And so I've, you know, gone ahead and, Become a member of the Chamber of Commerce. I'm working with some friends who are trying to uh, acquire property that's turning over, and think, what should the town center be? Given that um, it's a very dynamic community, I mean, it's uh, the eco chic elite, if you will. Um, but the the current town doesn't represent that. It's just been kind of uh, resisting the uh, the you know a Starbucks showing up or whatever. They don't want national chains, but but that's not a vision. That's just a, a negative stance. So then I think you have to actually bother to have a positive stance if we had the community center we wanted it would be inclusive of these things and yeah we do want to exclude certain things that we feel would make it like every place else sure
1: so you're doing that on a personal level
2: personal level uh, yeah some friends challenged me they're like phil you can't you can't say you care about this unless you're in there doing it. Why don't you nice. start where you live? That's good, friends. Yeah. Well, you seem to
1: be <laughs> you seem to be taking that onto a professional level oh, yeah. Yeah. as well. I mean, you told me about your interactions recently mm-hmm. at the city level, mm-hmm. major city level yeah. um with one of your new projects. Can you talk about
2: that? Yeah, it's a project in the arts district and it's still something I can't I I'm not going to give names, uh, but the arts district in in um, LA is is kind of like the birth of Soho, closest parallel. It'll be its own unique thing, but it's a very creative community um, where a lot of manufacturing and, and artists and creatives have met and done you know, some amazing things in recent years, and it's transforming. I mean, it's a desirable place to live now for the first time uh, in, in, many decades. So how does that transformation happen? That doesn't just become a bunch of, uh, condos that represent the, the you know, the, the cheapest way to build it, which, which is ha- what happens a lot. Yeah, Um, Everywhere. yeah. So I think it's not, to me, it's not a price point issue. And I think that's where people get stuck. They're like, well, that's, you know, they're not going to spend the money in indie culture. We've always done a lot with a little, you know, my first project were based on loft parties when I was, uh, you know, at, after college, I went back to Seattle, and I was in, in bands in the sub-pop years. Um, that led to my first national account, Urban Outfitters, which was kind of like, hey, could you do that uh, loft party thing you're doing, but <laughs> but we'll make it a store. you know?" And then it became a very adaptable stance where, to this day, it's, it's still kind of a loft space where anything can happen, and so the program makes the interest. So it's an evolving, adaptable, listening stance. Uh, and there are a lot of systems that came along with that that have to do with feedback loops like if someone has a good idea, how do you disseminate that to all the stores? But then you also have things in place. Uh, if someone doesn't have a great idea, there's, there's you know, a feedback chain where you always have a good idea from the group. Yeah. But there's also a program that's like, uh, if you have a great idea, put it into the, the, the feedback loop, and if everyone loves it, then maybe it'll go national. So that's fun, and it's fun. Uh, it makes, I think, uh, simple jobs like display and merchandising become these dynamic creative jobs.
1: One of the conversations we've had in the past is: <clears throat> there's retail, there's pop-up, mm-hmm. um, and then there is bringing together a synergy mm-hmm. of like-minded brands or aligned brands to actually build something bigger and better than any of the one, uh, any of them individually. And absolutely, and I, I think we talked a little bit
2: about um, yeah. Uh, we collaborate a lot. Yeah. I, I feel like the minute you're having the conversation with the client, the right frame is that you're collaborating, that they they have expertise. I don't want to pretend that I know their their business. I want to learn from, from their journey and, and, and amplify that. And if you go to our website, often people tell me, oh, your projects are all over the place. But I would argue it's always the same process of, of listening and feedback and, and collaboration. Uh, the results are, are more varied, perhaps, than, than a typical design firm because we're amplifying the journey of those, those brands, those clients.
1: Do you think it's hard for people? I mean, there's an obvious style. Uh, mm-hmm. Us as a creative studio, mm-hmm. many people come and say the exact same thing about our work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you're all over the map. You don't have a you have not have a single style. Yeah. But at the core, they don't see the strategy and the. Process that goes in to mm-hmm. those projects. Can you talk about how that difference is between a visual style or a visible style uh, versus a unified process behind each?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I'm very complimented when people say it's all over the place because they usually follow up, but I can always tell when it's you guys. Nice. And it's because the process that you're seeing is that storytelling based on the client's journey, and then the. Uh, The piece of it that's our technical piece, we feel it's our job to make utility look good. We always want to show the people in the kitchen. We want to show uh, if it's retail, like we'll have all the retail activities in full view, but it's done in a way that's attractive. And I think we all um, have been theme parked to death. We've been sold to death. I think you want that sense of reality. Uh, We noticed with certain projects, if we phased like a renovation, so the store never closed, which we pride ourselves on and, and so the back is changing and then you know that opens up and the next place is under construction uh, to some extent and it'll be mostly night work but someday but we'd have more people come in. We started to track. Uh, people would say, oh, you're ruining our business. A store manager would be worried but then we would look at the numbers. More people would show up and like, is it a photo shoot? Is something going on? Because it's Am I going to be in the background? of a,
0: Because it's growing It's real.
2: Growing. Yeah, people want Enough. to see the real craft. They want to see the real energy. They want to be part of that. Yeah. So don't hide it. That would be our philosophy. Just make it look good.
0: Right on. I find your approach um, uh, very aspirational. And hearing you talk about it is very informative for me. Mm -hmm. You know, you guys um, are certainly uh, uh, more distinguished. You're of a different generation than I am following behind you. I am in a large part, you know going to inherit uh, the groundwork that you guys put down and create and so I, you know it's really really nice um, a hearing you talk about like the ethos you know behind your design process but also about the responsibility that you feel and that you hold toward uh, you know municipality and mm-hmm. and uh, and also just the way organizations work mm-hmm. do you have any advice for for my generation for for the for the next torchbearers who are coming in you know we're also impatient mm-hmm. we all want to make it now like you know all of all of my friends are are, are, are hungry and gunning for their, for their next thing or their mm-hmm. big break or otherwise, mm-hmm. you know, you guys have an amazing track record. Do you have any advice for, for uh, me and my squad?
2: I think it's incremental. Uh, I love the idea that you feel like you would pick up where we left off and that, that really excites me. I, I do think we've just started on a path uh, where, you know, things when I started out were very fake and it was like you know, this is how you do retail, you know, and, and you're yep. not doing it right. Prescribed. And I didn't know any better because I didn't come from that tradition. I, I came from more uh, loft party, art school, you know, indie bands. So I was like, oh, I don't know. This is just how we do it. Um, can we just get on with it? And I, I guess you'll you'll fix it and do that traditional retail after the fact. But then they don't have to because it performs. Um, our, our our clients have done very well in the market. Um I've ended up giving lectures where people are like, "How has digital changed your business?" And I'm like, "Well, I'm realizing it hasn't. We we have always been in line with that. Uh, it's it's more like the culture caught up with what we were doing for our clients cool. and pushing experience, which is the you know where we all arrive. Digital does digital well, mm-hmm. and it should integrate seamlessly into the uh, the physical experience. But to me, there's no disconnect. It was always like that. You always like you know learned about stuff, bands you were excited about through the media. And then you would create a space. Uh, I love the process Kurt Cobain had with Nirvana. I'm a Seattle person. uh, Lay it on me. I know. He he didn't uh, have access to uh, much in terms of purchasing power, shall we say. He was from a very impoverished place out on the peninsula, which is very remote. Um, And he had to imagine what punk rock must be. And, and he hadn't heard it uh, you know he had he started imagining what it must be and then you he you know he heard bands like mud honey and they were big melvin's huge influences on him but they were all um it was sort of a seattle know nothing interpretation of what london punk must be because they actually had a hard time getting access to hearing it bands didn't come to seattle in those days uh most of the people doing music were not able to buy much uh, and most of it wasn't you know things didn't go out as quickly so there was this, this moment where he had to reinvent. I feel like that's where I started. People would like, I like what you're doing. I know you're not from the regular tradition. I have that now on the developer scale where they're like, Phil's coming from a different place, but I want you to listen to him. And these are high powered people. These are, you know, these are $500 million gambles in some cases, so there's a lot of pressure. And I, I receive that kind of an introduction and quickly say, you know what though, I'm here you, I, I know who you are, you're amazing and I, I, you know, I, I'm respectful of your work I just want to uh, pull us all together behind a main idea I think that's, that's the thing then we can all do what we do well but we're all uh, driving toward the same goal I think that
1: your whole perspective of listening mm. is a large part where you garner that respect of people who might be bigger, more established mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. than you, when people feel like they're listened to, they're more open to hear what comes next. For sure. mm-hmm. I hope so. That's, that would be my desire for sure. <laughs> yeah. I think that you know, from our perspective, you know, as we work through brands and we've gone through the dot com and the second round and the mm. third round, what I've found is that as things become more digital, as things become more remote, as things become more uh, vicarious, uh, there is a, 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 a deep-seated hunger for the real And the connected Mm -hmm. and so retailers brands are trying to connect themselves in the real world more and more there's a reason why outpost exists it's Mm -hmm. about connecting people and having them interact in the real world in a real conversation Um, and then on the retail side Mm -hmm. this idea of pop-up is more than just Mm pop-up it's about creating connection and experience Mm -hmm absolutely Um,
2: and it's a a premise i think the pop-up is almost like let's unburden ourselves of the expectation of permanence we did the warby parker uh it's in a friend space alchemy works in the arts district um and they they have an amazing space that already had a culture and an energy uh ran pardon and Lindsay do an amazing job i'll give them a give them some props here um but they invited me as I was leaving. Uh, I, I did one year of corporate architecture with Callison and learned a lot about scale and, and formality. Uh, and I'd never worked for anyone or worked in an office. So it was a year well spent, um, ran the innovation group. And then at the end of the year, I just had offers to go back into private practice. So I did. And, you know, it was, it was no, no negativity. But... Um, when I was in that transition, Rand was like, you don't have a space, do you? Why don't you take the space in the back of Alchemy Works? And so that was my first office uh, in L.A. Nice. And then um, on my return to L.A., we were on Fairfax by Supreme before I moved east. Um, but anyway, so that was really a nice gift because I definitely didn't know how to, how to make that transition. He's like, well, here's a space. Just, just show up and, you know, I know you're in a transition. And then he was saying, you know, I want to get Warby Parker in here. Maybe where your office is, we turned that into the Warby Parker pop-up shop, and he had this uh, resource for just a $800 prefab greenhouse, uh, but it wouldn't fit in there, so we made that uh, sort of the light box above the space. It's, it hangs above, and it's lit. Oh, cool. And then below that is, is a Warby Parker little boutique pop-up shop, three months. Five years later on and on yeah piece of cake but it wouldn't have gone that way had you had that sense of permanence right so that the lightness of just saying this is just let's do something fun for three months and then it works let's just keep it i i I think that's a great byproduct of the pop-up idea not that it replaces anything it just allows you to uh be more nimble and potentially you
1: could say it's about being in the moment yeah uh, because i think about the, the, tr- the true power of an experience mm-hmm. isn't what happened before or what's going to happen after. It's a happening, what's happening now.
2: Mm-hmm. And when you don't have to think about the permanence, you can be more in the moment. Yeah. And it, it was, uh, I mean, I, I keep waiting for my marble and gold commissions, but, uh, <laughs> or maybe not. I, I don't think that's me. So I, I'm very comfortable with the idea that I came out of a tradition where you had to do a lot with a little. One of my first things after college in San Francisco was give me shoes in the Hayes Valley and it was a client who had uh, i 'll just say it ten thousand dollars and is that your fee or is that your budget or so it forces you to dumpster dive it forces you to do things hands on. I needed that ten thousand to pay rent it 's San Francisco, um, but I got very creative and and uh, the result was very personal because you know it was uh army surplus, uh, lighting. It was, you know, everything was, what could we do with the money we had? Yeah. And 30 years later, it's still there. I, that, that's, that's <laughs> maybe why I brought it up the other day. Someone told me it's still there. And I was like, see, you know, yeah, no, I, I had that same thing when I moved back to LA cause, uh, work pulled me East. Um, when I was working with urban outfitters, I was never in house, but I, I had to have an office and it became the main office. And then, um, I moved back to LA with this callison job. Uh, something like five years ago. And uh, Shaheen Sadegi, who's a developer friend, who came from Perry Ellis to Quicksilver, and then he went out on his own. He got more interested in the real estate piece of the process. Um, so um, the lab was his first thing. In Costa Mesa, it was a former um, army goggle manufacturer or something. So cool. And there was just these uh, concrete tilt-up slab, unremarkable buildings uh, that he could get. Like Again, limited budget. That's mm-hmm. what he could get. And so the, the process was to think, how do we re-inhabit that in an interesting way, which had more to do with uh, demolition as, as a creative act. Like, how, how can you take away um, and create space for things to happen? The program has changed over and over since we did it. But anyway, moving back to L.A., he was like, hey, Phil, the lab's 20 years old. I'm like, what are you trying to make me feel really old? He's like, well, no, because then I'd be even older. no. Uh, you should notice that that your work doesn't last five years. It just keeps reinventing. We kept thinking it was over, and then a new generation in Orange County would would discover indie and indie-leaning uh, tendencies, and then it would, they latch onto this. And it kept reinventing. And he changed the program. Certain anchors have stayed the course, uh, but pretty much it's been um, an adaptive, regenerative space. And he said, you should notice that because that's that's what you're doing that's what's different than, than some of the other people I deal with.
0: Nice, very nice mm-hmm. and so with that in mind, you know, we're here we're at Outpost, we're at this wonderful convergence of, you know, creators of mm-hmm. of creative minds, of people who are out there sort of making a difference and, and, and you know, creating as much positive change as possible whilst enabling people to get outdoors, you know, and mm-hmm. do so in a wholesome manner, in a wholesome environment that is really enriching um, what I would love to, to know if I if I and close with a question is mm-hmm. is um, you know what are you, you you're obviously so deeply entrenched in 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 the game right and mm-hmm. and, and you've come at it from so many different angles and and, and are so versatile in that way. Um, what are you most excited about in your creative space? You know what do you see coming? Because obviously there's all this ebb and this flow and as we mentioned there's the dot coms, there's round two, there's round three, there's there's all this change, some stuff stays consistent. Mm-hmm. What excites you about the future of your space?
2: That I don't know. I love that. Nice. And I, uh, I've i had, you know, people challenge. I'm not as uh, financially successful as, as if I had gone on a law firm path. My family's very medical, you know, they're doctors in the family and they're like, do you regret your choice? I'm like, no, this, because for me, I embarked on a journey and I like the journey and I just don't ever want it to end. So not knowing allows me to just keep going. And Uh, I was working with REI on on doing sort of their brand guidelines to change the way they use the stores. And we've had some wonderful projects with them. There's um, actually a 40,000 square foot REI I can talk about now. Uh, We did the design concept for a Chicago location that will be on the river. Um, There will be a barge uh, that's a floating garden. Uh, You can you can buy a kayak and take it downtown to a boathouse in Chinatown that they maintain And so you could do all of Chicago by kayak you know So this this project and we turned our back on the street, which was gutsy for them But I kept saying you know your 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 challenge is opt outside. Let's face the river Let's have people park and then come around this easement, this parkscape on the side. Amazing. You come into a two-story cut in what had been a parking garage, and we kept it like a parking garage and just put things in there. There's an A-frame like you'd see a, as a lake house in, in Lake Michigan up on the second floor. So that's the cafe. You So you come around the corner <laughs> through through these trees, and then it's like there's this cut in this, this parking structure. There's an A-frame cafe. I mean, there's a lot of, to me, a very surprise and delight aspect to it. And you, you have to have the right clients. So this is, we're way into that conversation. But I told them um, during that process, they were like, um, how do you like to live your life? I don't know how that came up. Just, you know, just spending a lot of time with people and they ask you things. I was like, I feel best if I approach every day like I'm on a hike. And the minute I have too much stuff, I almost feel weighed down. So I, I'm, I have moved a lot, I'm trying to put down roots now. I have an eight-year-old kid and a daughter who just turned 16. Yeah. So I'm under pressure to settle down and not move every year, Uh, but I I have not been able to get past uh, the weight of possessions. Like if I have a kayak I'm not using, I have to sell it, knowing that I'll get another kayak later when I want it again. When I see it sitting there, I just feel it makes me feel bad that it's not being used. Mm. Um, So this—I mean, I admit at home I I sleep in a tent on the porch in a sleeping bag. I—I just like to feel like every day I'm, I'm, I'm waking up to a new hike.
0: That's beautiful Stay light, be creative And treat every day as if it is a brand new hike Phil, thank you Thank Thank you, you. Phil,
1: that was fantastic Thank Thank you. you